This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to the show. My first guest today has been the leader of the BC United Party since May of last year, and he's the leader of the official opposition in the BC legislature. Since he became leader, the party's gone through a bit of a name change, and uh, they've been opposing the government, which is what their job is. So to talk a bit about what he wants to accomplish in the peace, and uh, both now and uh, when, or rather, if and when they form government after the next election coming up next year, uh, I'm very pleased to be joined now by Kevin Falcon, the leader of the BC United pa- uh, Party. Kevin, welcome to Moose Talks. Well, thanks very much for having me, Dub. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. I, I stumbled through that intro. I'm not sure why, but anyway, <laughs> we'll just move on, onward and upward from there. Um, I thought we'd okay. start We'd start with this first, Kevin. Uh, we have to look a bit at the polling numbers anyway. Um Initially, it looks like the polling suggests anyway that uh, support is slipping for the BC United Party. Did you expect this sort of thing to to happen, you know, given with the name change and trying to sort of, uh, you know, lose the perceived connection you have with the BC, uh, with the federal liberal party, I I should say? Sure. So let's talk about that, because. We did as a party make a decision that we were going to change our name from BC Liberals, which important for your uh, listeners to understand that that BC Liberals was never connected to the federal party, but it uh-huh. did create voter confusion, and we wanted to eliminate that confusion. And and so uh, the party made the decision to change the name to BC United. And we the reason we liked the BC United name was because we want to unite all those that support a free enterprise system to get together under one umbrella and drive the NDP out of power so we can get back to fixing some of the problems our, our province faces and get things back on track. Now, I have to tell you that um, the, the polls, you have to be very, very careful with polls. First of all, polls today are notoriously inaccurate. They're generally online polls, um, which means they're a panel of people that they regularly ask for their opinion on different issues and they can be very, very inaccurate. So I don't, frankly, put a lot of trust in polls. We also know that uh, for whatever value you want to put to them, there's a huge amount of voter confusion because what happens is people confuse the BC Conservative Party, which is a party that's always been around for decades in BC. It has no connection to the federal party. There's no official connection similar to when we were BC Liberals. Mm -hmm. But what happens in the polling is that people confuse the provincial and federal, and they say, oh, yeah, you know, Pierre Polyev, that's who I'm voting for, um, not realizing that this is provincial politics, not federal politics. And so that creates um, a huge amount of, of confusion. And then you couple that with the fact that people are just starting to kind of understand who BC United is. Um, you know, that combination creates the situation you're seeing now. But what I can tell you is I'm not concerned about it very much. And the reason is that we haven't even begun to really uh, start rolling out our you know, our uh, advertising and marketing and, and uh, branding exercise that will let people know who BC United is, what we stand for, we're the former BC Liberals, we're the people that, you know, made the big investments in the province that are so important, LNG, Site C, uh, twinning of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, all these really important decisions. Uh, and we want to get back and, and make sure that we get a government that's thinking about, you know, big projects and getting big things done again. So, 
Um, that's that's sort of how I look at that. And the other thing I would say is that um, parties are more than polls. Uh, parties are organizations. They're members. Uh, it's about money. Um, we've raised, uh, you know, frankly, we're right behind the NDP in the fundraising uh, sweepstakes, if you will. We're, we're nipping at their heels. We've raised about 76% of what they've raised. The Green Party are way, way down, and the BC Conservatives are, you know, uh, virtually flatlined, um, which, again, um, makes clear that the support they're seeing in the polls isn't translating to people actually supporting them financially. And so I think that also underscores the brand confusion. Mm-hmm. I also want to ask you about vote splitting, Kevin. I mean, is that a concern for you at all when people are saying, OK, especially in the piece, which is arguably one of the most conservative parts of the province, um, they have a conservative candidate. Well, conservative united party a bc candidate and dan davies and then they may have a conservative party of bc candidate as well to choose from i mean in general vote splitting is that something you're worried about that just delivers another uh sort of massive election win for the ndp in the coming election well yeah i think i i do think voters really have to think about that you know i think they they have to think about um you know what's our number one objective here um, you know, a lot of the BC Conservatives, I, I, I know some of them, uh, many uh, have known me for many years. They came while I was in the private sector for 10 years. They came on two occasions asking me to be their leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's not like, you know, they're an unknown. I, I've known who they are for many years, and I've always said the same thing to them. You guys, we cannot be splitting votes and allowing the NDP to win. It just doesn't make any sense. And so I think what the public will ultimately ask themselves, especially as we get closer to the election and the public's actually paying more attention, is they're going to say, who is the team that has the best chance to win and is ready to govern on day one? And I think that's really important. You know, I've been a former deputy premier and finance minister as a former transportation minister, health minister. I've got experience in the private sector, played a a very senior role in the housing sector uh, while I spent 10 years back in the private sector. I've returned to politics, not because I needed the job, frankly, but because I'm doing this for my kids' generation. I've got a grade eight and grade five daughter, and uh, I want to make sure that we get things fixed in this province. We get things back on track and that we have a premier who is familiar with the peace, uh, who's been a very big supporter of the major projects that are taking place in the peace, and will make sure that we you know, get things going again in this province. And that's, that's myself. It's not time for, you know, people that have never been elected to anything. Um, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. All right, Kevin. Well, I want to talk about some of the, the major issues kind of facing the piece that uh, make the news a lot around here. I think first, you know, health care and staffing shortages in health care. I know this is a province wide problem, but it seems to be especially a big problem uh, in the piece and in the north. What do you think you and the B.C. United Party want the government and and i mean yourselves again if you were to win the next election to be doing differently to alleviate at least some of the problems in, in sort of recruiting retaining uh staff in, in hospitals and and healthcare centers all over the north and the peace sure well first of all i i think it's really important to understand that this is a problem that has really developed over the last seven years that this government this ndp government's been in power it's really important to recognize that because the results they're getting in healthcare are just absolutely atrocious. And you'll hear me often come back to talking about results because this is a government that makes lots of announcements, lots of promises, lots of photo ops. They get everything except results. 
and the results that they do get are very poor. So we know, just as you point out, one in five British Columbians do not have access to a family doctor. We've got a million people on wait lists trying to see a specialist. Our cancer care has gone from what was once recognized back when I was health minister in 20, 2009, 2010. It was recognized as the best health, cancer care outcomes in North America, uh, if not the world. And today we've gone from being the best to the worst in the country in terms of the delayed time it takes for people to go get the treatment that they need. And as we know, those delays uh, result in, uh, in many cases in fatalities because the cancer spread by the time people get the treatment they need. Um, and then you've got this crazy situation where the NDP are literally having to send people to Bellingham, Washington, the United States of all places. This is the same NDP government that often decries the terrible U.S. private healthcare system and now they're having to send patients down there. And the last time that happened in British Columbia, you have to go all the way back to the 1990s when the NDP were in power in the 90s and they were having to send patients down to the United States. So this is literally a self-inflicted problem. How do we solve it? Well, first of all, we have to recognize there are literally thousands of doctors, highly trained doctors called international medical graduates, many if not most of them, by the way, being Canadian kids, who have chosen to study abroad, either in Australia, in uh, New Zealand, in the United States, in the Caribbean, wherever the case, Ireland. Uh -huh. And they want to come back and practice in British Columbia, but there's so much regulatory red tape nonsense in the way that they're unable to do so. And I've been very clear that as Premier, uh, myself and our BC United uh, government, formerly BC Liberal, will take a chainsaw to those regulations and make sure we open it up and get those young people here in British Columbia helping look after patients. Whether it's in the peace, the caribou, the interior, the island, the lower mainland, I don't care. I want lots of doctors in here and we can do that. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned sort of uh, taking a chainsaw to regulations, but do you also support the idea, I mean, uh, you know, more incentives to get people here, which seems to be something that's happening anyway under the current government, but it isn't working, just the incentives. So, I guess you could also answer for me, like some of the regulatory things that you're speaking of that make it so hard. What what kind of things would you attack first in that regard? Sure. So it's important to understand that this isn't a problem that happened overnight. This is a problem that has developed over the last, frankly, 100 years. Yeah. We've always done things a certain way uh, when it came to, you know, bringing physicians into our system here in British Columbia. Um, and it's a system that may have made sense uh, 30 years ago, or 40 years ago, or 50 years ago. It doesn't make sense in the middle of a crisis. Mm -hmm. In the middle of a crisis, you have to do things differently. So that means we have to sit down with the College of Physicians and Surgeons, which is now called Doctors of BC. We have to sit down with the uh, uh, medical program at UBC and say to them, listen, we are going to do things differently here. I know we've done it this way for the last uh, 100 years, but we're changing. We're going to change it so that we can get some of these uh, highly trained uh, doctors into our province now and start working together. So that means, for example, that uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds for you, but typically you have what they call proctors, which are doctors that, uh, you know, work with new doctors to help them, uh, you know, understand uh, how we do things in, in a private practice, et cetera. Uh -huh. And uh, typically it's on one-to-one. -one. Well, in the middle of a crisis, we might have to do one-to-three or one-to-two or something that says we're going to treat this like a crisis. And it's not the perfect solution, but it starts to get us in the direction of getting people, uh, you know, trained up faster and into the system. I think most people would rather deal with a, a young, inexperienced doctor that hasn't got, you know, maybe the one-on-one -on -one time, but got, you know, 
two-on-one time with a physician and is now treating them than have no doctor at all. And so, you know, this is this is why it's important to move quickly. Um, but unfortunately, we're not seeing that out of this government. Instead, what we're seeing is a growth in the bureaucracy. Uh, Adrian Dix keeps talking about all the people they've hired. Well, the problem is they're, they're all administrators, bureaucrats, communications people. They've now got 70 vice presidents all earning over a quarter million dollars a year, where next door in Alberta, that similar size population, they have seven. I mean, that's insane. Uh, but this is, you know, what you expect with an NDP government. It's just that the, the problem is we end up getting worse and worse results every time. I want to talk a bit about crime, too, if I could. Uh, I know um, your colleague, Peace River South MLA, Mike Bernier, uh, spoke up about what's going on in Dawson Creek in the legislature recently. And uh, we've been seeing it here in uh, Fort St. John, too, though. Um, you know, the RCMP here say a lot of it's more of a perceived increase in crime than an actual. Um, however, I just wanted your take on, uh, you know, whether it's perceived or not, how you handle the situation where it seems like there's a lot more crime happening in the piece than there was even last year or a couple of years ago or even before the pandemic. Well, I, I can tell you that there's just no question everywhere I go in this province, doesn't matter if it's the island, the lower mainland, the interior, the north, uh, you know, the, the peace, I always hear and see about this issue. Um, I have a huge amount of respect for the RCMP. If, if they say it's just a perception in the peace, I, I, I would, you know, I would uh, certainly want to talk to them about that because that's a little different than what I hear. But I will tell you that this is the result of, directly the result of David Eby. He was the attorney general for five and a half years before he became the leader of the NDP party and thus premier. And while he was attorney general, he oversaw a soft on crime catch and release program that has just been disastrous uh, for community safety. Essentially what he's done is he's told the crown prosecutors to leave the small stuff alone, the assaults, the vandalism, the graffiti, the shoplifting, and it has created chaos. And unfortunately it's not just the minor crimes, it's people that have very serious crimes and violent crimes that are being released often the same day they're arrested. And you couple that with the reckless decriminalization of hard drugs like heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, fentanyl, and uh, without any restrictions whatsoever. And suddenly we saw an explosion of open drug use in parks and playgrounds and beaches and public spaces. We as an opposition spent eight months as the official opposition saying, David Eby, for God's sakes, bring in some guardrails to this reckless decriminalization program of yours because you're destroying communities. And only after, you know, other municipalities started weighing in on this, did they finally, reluctantly, uh, bring in a piece of legislation that says you can't openly use drugs. But even that legislation was too weak and didn't go far enough. The bottom line is, this is a government that believes that the solution to an addiction crisis is handing out government-supplied drugs, free drugs for people struggling with addictions. We totally disagree with that. We think the answer is twofold. Number one, we bring back secure um, uh, forms of, of housing for people with severe mental health issues. So we get them off the streets into proper care where they can be looked after and get the treatment they deserve uh, and need. Um, and secondly, that we focus on treatment for people struggling with addictions, not just handing them government-supplied drugs, but actually helping them get off of their addiction by getting into treatment programs. Those are big investments, but they're big investments that will have big paydays down the road in terms of less uh, time in front of courts, less policing time, having to deal with these folks all the time, less uh, healthcare costs because these 
folks are cycling in and out of the system with the repeated overdoses and and uh, the the accidents and the health issues that they're dealing with by not properly um, looking after themselves. So there are solutions, but they require a total change in direction, which we will go. The final thing I'll say is we've also said we would fill the 500 vacant policing positions across the province mm-hmm. because it does us no good when the police are short-staffed and haven't got the uh, the ability to make sure our streets are safe. And the way you do that is you not only make sure you fund those empty spaces, which the NDP have not been doing, uh, but you also say we will work with local communities to provide extra dollars to provide incentive bonuses to hire people and retention bonuses uh, to you know make sure they stay on as police officers. So you try to create the right incentive package to draw more people into policing so that we can keep our community safe. All right, Kevin, I've got just about a minute left, and I want to make sure we talk a bit about infrastructure up in the north here as well. Yes. The Taylor Bridge, a very hot topic always around here. Um, yeah. And with winter setting in, uh, highways and highway safety has been uh, big up here as well. Um, how important do you think it is to uh, you know, really move forward on infrastructure funding, especially in places like the Peace, where really there's only one highway to get from Fort Nelson to Fort St. John, for example, and from Fort St. John to Dawson Creek. And a thing like the Taylor Bridge that's 60-something years old now, um, you know, has needed a replacement for some time. Absolutely. And so we've already called for that publicly. Uh, If you look at our northern transportation policy uh, that I released, uh, boy, that was probably, it was many months ago, uh, but it called for exactly that. Replacement of the Taylor Bridge was absolutely number one on the list. Um, We need to have more investments in our road infrastructure. I was proud to work with Dick Neufeld uh, back when he was, uh, you know, a local MLA there. And uh, when when we were the BC Liberals, uh, we widened the highway through the Peace, uh, right through the, in fact, through downtown uh, um, Fort St. John, as I recall, um, and did lots of work with our uh, dusting program to make sure that we deal with dust on the uh, you know, on the secondary roads, et cetera. So there's a lot more we can do, but I think I just have to say this about infrastructure. Really important for your listeners to know this. The three biggest projects we have going on in British Columbia right now are Site C Dam, the uh, twinning of the Trans Mountain Pipeline to get oil from Alberta into the Lower Mainland, and third is the uh, Coastal Gas Length and LNG program. That combined represents over $70 billion of investment. All three projects were strongly opposed by the NDP government. And if you just think about what our economy would be today if we didn't have those three projects underway, it would be a disaster. In fact, it's made this government look better than they deserve because none of those projects would have been there. And what I'm concerned about is as those projects come to an end, which they all are, uh, you know, close to coming to an end, there's not three big major projects behind them because people are not making big investments in British Columbia anymore because we've got a government that is hell-bent through their ever-escalating carbon taxes, through their constant punishing of of business and free enterprise, of destroying this economy. Their own Clean BC plan, which we call the Cost BC plan, actually their own numbers say it will shrink the economy by 10% and cause over 200,000 in job losses and frankly be devastating for the natural resource sector. And I'm not going to let that happen. And I need your listeners to understand that this is an existential crisis for the peace. If we don't get rid of this government, And if we don't get people in there that know how important the natural resource sector is, that like us are going to scrap provincial fuel taxes immediately, that's 15 cents a litre in savings right there. We're going to say forget carbon taxes on all home heating fuels, whether natural gas, propane or oil. 
because if it's good enough in the East Coast, it ought to be good enough in the West Coast. And we're going to fight David Eby's attempts to continue to increase the carbon tax over the next six years because they're going to triple it. I'm not going to have it. And if Pierre Polyev, my, my federal friend, gets elected federally and gets rid of the carbon tax, I can tell you we're getting rid of it in B.C. too because we're not going to be the only jurisdiction with a carbon tax in this country. All right, Kevin. Um, I've, I've got 30 more seconds now for you. I know you're coming to right. town on the 12th, I believe. Uh, you're doing a bit of a town hall. Can you tell us a bit about that quick? Sure am. Yeah, so uh, hosting a town hall with Mike Bernier and Dan Davies. Really looking forward to it. I hope your listeners will get a chance to come out. We're going to talk about all those really important issues like, uh, you know, infrastructure. Uh, we want to talk about carbon taxes, talk about SOGI, which is uh, – uh, you know, causing a lot of concerns uh, with folks out there. You know, what's happening in our school system? What happened to letter grades? All these issues that are very, very important. Uh, and we want to hear from your listeners. So I'm really looking forward to getting up there with my colleague, uh, Ellis Ross, will be joining us. And uh, we're really excited to to come and uh, and hear from folks and talk to people about our plan for getting the province back on track and fixing a lot of the problems we face. All right, Kevin. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate you uh, appearing on the show. Super. Well, really appreciate being on the show, Dub. All the best to you. I look forward to seeing you when I get up there next week. Absolutely. That's uh, Kevin Falcon, the leader of the BC United Party and, of course, the opposition leader of the opposition in the BC legislature. We'll be right back after this on Moose Talks. My thanks to our guest, Kevin Falcon, for joining us today. Sadly, our second guest, Helen Gilbert, had to cancel last minute, but we'll hope to catch up with her and uh, more about the School District 60 strategic plan that they'd like you to be involved in uh, coming up in next week's episode. Now, if you'd like to hear this episode again or on other old episodes of Moose Talks, make sure you check out the energeticcity.ca podcast page. You'll find past episodes of this uh, show there, along with all episodes of Secrets of the North, Before the Peace, and Voices of the Peace, archived for your listening pleasure. Take some time to listen to some excellent locally produced podcasts today at energeticcity.ca slash podcasts. That's our show. Jordan Prentice and Trey Lopashinsky are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.